0: Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and
1: EMDR therapy.
2: Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Bridger, Melissa, and I are all here today with an episode where we get to answer questions that have been sent in to us by our Patreon members and through social media. So we have a few that we're going to address today. If you guys have others, we would love to have you send those in so we could do another Q&A episode later. Um, But before we get started with that, I just want to remind all of you that we have a Patreon account. And if you're not sure what that is, um, it's a platform where we post bonus episodes, um, additional resources, videos, audio clips, book reviews, a lot of great information and that you can access that by purchasing a subscription. We have kind of a tier of subscriptions anywhere starting at $3 a month on up to $20 a month, which includes consultation calls with us. So if you are interested in that we would love to have you join our Patreon team and just get to know you a little bit more and what you're looking for and have you in on all the extra material that we have. So check that out at www.patreon.com backslash beyond
0: healing center. So for the first part of our episode today, we're going to take just a minute and introduce somebody that you guys have probably actually already heard talk. And because of pandemic and a few other things, the order of release of episodes, um, meant that you have heard his voice before we officially introduced him. So today we're taking the time to do that. So we have brought on a new therapist to our team here at Beyond Healing Center that is a new co host on uh, Notice That and also uh, the main host of our new podcast. I'm going to let him talk more about that. But we have uh, Bridger Falkenstein and Bridger and I have known each other for a little while and when I first met him I immediately knew that we wanted to hire him as soon as that was a possibility so that has <laughs> happened in the last few months. So yeah Bridger tell us about yourself, about uh, the new podcast, about um, your work here at BHC and things mm-hmm. that you're excited about.
1: Yeah so thanks for bringing me on. <laughs> I think it's, it's odd to say that now that we're kind of out of order but it has been just such a beautiful process um, getting to come on at uh, Beyond Healing Center and to do this work and I I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I love this so much. So um, yeah, we have set up uh, a new podcast for um, clients actually, which is Beyond Trauma and those episodes um, should be coming out soon from when this was recorded. Um, But basically the scope of that podcast is, you know, we already have noticed that this podcast and we wanted to Um, make something that was approachable and helpful for clients throughout their process and journey of healing and so beyond trauma is going to cover um, everything from what does it mean to ask do i need therapy to how do i find a therapist what's a good therapist to have what kind of treatment is there what do i expect during treatment how do i know when i've had enough for now Mm -hmm. Um, coming back to therapy um, even tips for you know how does the family respond to therapy and, and what are we going to do about that? And so it's just going to be a helpful resource all around for your healing journey. Um, as far as me, I don't know if you want me to mm-hmm. talk yeah, about yeah, me definitely. a little bit, but, um, yeah, so I, um, have, uh, practice at BHC and then also practice at a health center here in town, um, serving clients there. Um, I love to do, um, as involved therapy as I can with my clients. So um, I do trauma processing, EMDR trained therapist. Um, I kind of identify as a psychodynamic um, orientation uh, to therapy, so I'm very uh, attachment focused, very attunement focused with my clients and and viewing them as uh, sort of um, an amalgam of what has happened to them in their lives. And I use um, somatic information processing, which is a model that we're developing um, but that incorporates a lot of affective neuroscience and uh, a lot of what's been done in the interpersonal neurobiology. So, um, that's what I live and breathe and eat and sleep and, and do that <laughs> that's work. true. So, that. Yeah. Polyvagal <laughs> specifically is where I hang my hat, um, and rest my head. Um, it, it is everything to me. And so with my clients, I'm always looking at their nervous system and, and figuring out what shaped it and how we can be curious and creative together about, Uh, healing it Mm -hmm. yeah so
0: So one of the main reasons that we you know wanted bridger to be part of our team is because he has a lot to teach us in terms of uh, working specifically with the nervous system and everything that he has shared with us has really just solidified what we already knew was important in terms of doing emdr with a particular focus on what is the body doing what is the nervous system doing how is that uh, shaped them and you know AIP adaptive information processing that is the bedrock of EMDR really um, you know points us in the direction of understanding how important the body is And then things like polyvagal theory and somatic information processing take it the next step. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to hear us talk a lot more about that because we really believe that this is the evolution of therapy. um, And Bridger's here to help us do that. So we're so excited to
1: have you. I could not be more excited. Yeah, Yeah, You
2: know, and I think those of you listening, as you've been implementing EMDR, if you feel like, wow, I'm running into these roadblocks where it's like it's working with some clients, but I am really struggling with other clients. I think that the piece of PVT and what Bridger has to offer this team is where we can really learn like how we do EMDR. It's not just about um, the protocol Mm -hmm. and the structure of it, but it's how we do it that really makes the difference from it being effective with client to client. And so the PVT explanation helps us to understand, Oh, that's how, and that's the healing piece that really moves this protocol from something that may not click with a certain client into something that can be a tremendously healing experience. And for the most complex cases. Exactly right,
1: and that's where I have found just such a gift in me of synthesis, um, of understanding how theory applies to a clinical um, example. And all throughout my development, that has been something that people have noted in me, which feels strange to hear because it's not, I don't see it as something that's, that's out of the ordinary, um, to me it's it's how i come to the room but mm-hmm. it's just therapy it just is when someone is talking i have all of these authors lining up in my mind and these researchers and what they've said and how it applies and i'm able to to uh, sort of package that in a way that mm, is the most relevant to the client or to the consultee or to mm-hmm. whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are listening to this right now and you're wondering, you know, or thinking I have a few cases that I would love to talk through, uh, let us know because we can, we, can, we can make that happen. Um, that's, some, that's a vision for Beyond Healing Center that we want to, we want to um, bring to people and to mm-hmm. the world is to change therapy forever into um, and, and something that is emergent and beautiful and, and individual and creative and curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yes. All beautiful words. Yes. I love those. Yeah. <laughs> I can just yeah. keep going. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So as we get into some of our questions that we got for today, I'm going to read, I think we have about two or three selected that we'll dive into today. So the first one um, she wrote in said, one question I have is about EMDR with borderline personality disorder and if you have ever had any information on combining it with DBT, mm-hmm. I'm also wondering about EMDR with schizophrenia when the patient does not have an extensive trauma history, and whether hallucinations could be desensitized. Two part, maybe even three part, yeah. four part <laughs> question. Really <laughs> good,
1: good question. question. Uh-huh. Yeah, very yes. interesting. Yeah. Well, so which bit of how that do we, do we want to start? How do we with want to guys? start? Let's we start
2: with
0: the first part. The borderline.
2: Yes, EMDR yes. with borderline personality and combining it with DVT. Mm-hmm. I have so much to say. I do too.
1: I imagine so, all of us do. Yes. So, who's, who's going to start? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, what I would like to offer is the conceptualization piece. Okay, of that's Howard a good formed. place to start. Then. What about what you want to offer? So, I want to talk
0: about um, the the unique way that you can blend DBT with the resourcing
2: phase of EMDR.
1: What do you want to offer?
2: All of that, and then in addition to the attachment piece, and attachment Mm -hmm. ruptures being kind of the... So does it make sense to start Mm -hmm. with
1: the conceptualization? Yep,
2: that sounds good.
1: Okay, cool. So, borderline personality disorder, and if anything, um, all personality organizations of any kind, um, are creative manifestations of... Um, their attachment and trauma history. Trauma here having a much broader uh, definition than just a traumatic event. Um, we've talked elsewhere about um, a broader definition of trauma being um, when something comes into your... Do it, is okay if I say yeah. it again? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when something comes into your universe that is uh, too much, too soon, uh, too much for too long, or too little for too long. So that is really expanding your definition of trauma because... Um, traumatic events, what we know from AIP and EMDR just in general and all that's come out of affective neuroscience and trauma, um, trauma has the most direct and powerful link to reorganizing um, neural networks as well as how that manifests in terms of personality and Mm -hmm. um, behavior. So if we have that understanding, then it kind of shifts our uh, awareness and assessment of personality organizations to creative manifestations of their nervous system. That to me is how I interpret personality disorders so it doesn't really, it's not just a diagnosis or a label to say here's the confines of how this is going to present and act, it's its telling me, it's like breadcrumbs to the story of how they got here right. and then from that I, I work backwards basically and how do we um, how do we go about healing it? So, um, borderline personality disorder obviously is defined. Um, the reason it's called borderline is because it's between psychoses and neuroses. So it's it's floating that line of uh, big mood swings, um, you know, self detrimental behavior, whether that be self harm or interpersonally mm-hmm. unpredictability, irrationality, push pull, push pull, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love you, get away from me, mm-hmm. that kind of organization. So that can be really um, Uh, activating and um, sort of dysregulating for therapists and definitely for their system, their client system, uh, their support system. So um, it gets uh, some pretty interesting reactions from different people. So if you are a therapist that's working with it, um, understanding how you're responding to it is a big piece of how you begin treatment. Um, That kind of push-pull narrative gets really agitated in uh, therapeutic Scenarios Mm -hmm. where the therapist is becoming an attachment figure to them, which has not been safe, which is why, um, you know, if you look at the intersection of borderline personality disorder and disorganized attachment, which, Mm -hmm. Jen, you mentioned you're going to talk about later, that's how this behavior is manifesting. So um, shifting, the piece that I want to add to the conversation is shifting the way you're even conceptualizing borderline personality disorder, not as a, you know, um, codified list of patterns and behaviors that's in the DSM, but more so creative expressions of their dysregulation. Mm -hmm. If you can shift your awareness and conceptualization to that posture, the healing journey becomes about offering safety, um, offering context and choice and connection to the person as they oscillate in their borderline organization.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that I think that piece in particular leads straight into the uniqueness of how to resource these clients because if we think about what their nervous system is trying to accomplish, as Bridger was saying, with that that push-pull and that um, kind of back-and-forth oscillation of what their nervous system is doing... They're, the goal of the behavior is always about looking for nurture and attachment. And
1: safety. No, yeah.
0: but because of all of the trauma that they've experienced, when they go to seek that out in their environment, they move into these very, very dysregulated patterns that either come out as fear and anxiety, they often come out as rage, um, some clients that'll even present as over sexualized behavior. So people we see pleasing. people yeah, pleasing, Yeah, right. there, there's all of these different strategies that they use, but remembering that the goal is that they're looking for attachment and safety.
2: Which typically those behaviors manifest the rejection of other people, right. which continues to perpetuate yeah, right. that agitated see, nervous no one, system. Yeah, yes. no one right. Loves me. Right. And I think,
1: like to your point, Melissa, about. Um, the, goal, the goal is absolutely, which is a universal human goal, seeking nurturance and safety mm-hmm. and attachment. But that figure who plays that role has become unsafe. Right, right. Which that's the push part of the narrative. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So as far as resourcing, one of the things that um, we always want to remember with this population is that they likely have a held belief of it's not safe to feel safe.
1: Yes, very important. So when we
0: come into their system and we're offering things like calm, comfortable place and all of that, we're basically telling their nervous system, okay, it's safe to feel safe now. Like, calm down, please. Which um, violates a rule. Which violates a rule that in a commitment that they have made to themselves that they will not let themselves be vulnerable in that way. So do not be surprised if when you offer a resource like calm, comfortable place, you actually get either some resistance or a strong ab reaction that comes out of that um, because their their system is not convinced that that is an okay choice for them, that that level of vulnerability is, is a good idea. So at the beginning, we may have to do other kinds of resources as an introductory resource where most people would do well with Calm Comfortable Place. These clients may not. Um, it's not that we don't offer it to them, but we just expect that that might be particularly challenging for them and that we may need to be kind of creative in that process with them for instance, it may, they may want their calm, comfortable place to include other people mm-hmm. because their desire for that, their seeking for that attachment is so powerful. It's the most powerful thing that's happening in their system. But anytime they try to come into a relationship, their, their other patterning is going to get triggered. So sometimes what works better is to have a calm, comfortable place that's more about neutrality. And nothingness. Yeah, right. Lack of threat. Lack of threat. So uh, I've done this with people where it's a, just a blank room. Nothing there but a comfy chair. Nobody's in there, nothing going on. You're just sitting there in this empty room. Now, sometimes you also have people that get agitated by that aloneness. Mm -hmm. So this is what I mean by there has to be this sense of creativity in in what's going to work for their system. And particularly important for them is that we're not going for happy. We're not going for joyful. We're going for neutral. Remembering that the ultimate goal of calm, comfortable place is to take them out of a state of overstimulation or anxiety and back to a place of neutrality. So if they don't love their calm comfortable place that's okay we just need it to accomplish neutrality mm-hmm. if they cannot do a calm comfortable place at all because it takes them into those patterns choose a different resource that is specifically focused on neutrality my favorite neutrality resource is focus on your left pinky finger <laughs> what is it feeling right now it's feeling nothing the the air. The cool air, that's it. Okay, just focus on that. Take all of your attention into that one place in your body that is feeling nothing other than the sense of the air on your skin. That is a neutrality resource. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but that's exactly what we need in these kinds of situations. Right. Um, and also you can let them choose which body part works for them. I've had people choose elbows, toes... Earlobes, earlobes are a good one. Yeah. You don't feel anything in your earlobe if you pay attention to it. There's just a bunch of nothing there, and that is what we're looking for. So that is an option to keep keep in mind is that we want a, a neutrality resource for them. Um, the question also talked about how to combine this with DBT. As you get into your DBT work with these clients, you're you're giving them new emotional regulation skills. Mm-hmm. Um and it works best, and DBT really, really emphasizes the relationship between therapist and client with healthy, appropriate boundaries to begin reshaping their response patterns around attachment. That's right. So, every time they are utilizing a new skill that you're teaching them with DBT, even in the smallest ways, if it goes well at all, that is an opportunity to pause and install with BLS because you're enhancing that reshaping of those neural networks for That's right. them around this concept of, I found a moment of regulation in the presence of another person, but not with the pattern of enmeshment.
1: Yes. Right? Very so
0: so anytime that that happens well, you're teaching them a new skill or they come into session and say, hey, I tried that thing and it actually worked and my mom and I had a totally different kind of interaction. Great. Stop right there and install that. Okay. Mm-hmm. That kind of resourcing is really, really helpful for this population.
1: Well, and I think I also want to add transference-focused therapies Mm -hmm. um, to the conversation of how to do effective borderline or even just personality disorder treatment in general. Transference, you know, making that explicit, um, that just goes along perfectly with what you were saying, Mm -hmm. Melissa, about... um, hey we just tried that and you had a different reaction make that explicit what's it like to connect with me now and then install it that's right
0: and if you guys are wondering like well how do i install that don't overcomplicate it literally yeah Yeah. stick the buzzers (laughs) in their hands or get your bls ready in whatever way you do it all they need to do is focus on what just happened what was the experience get an image or a Mm -hmm. word that represents that and then most important of all the physical sensation that goes with that that's right If they're feeling it in their body, and they're intentionally focused on it in their mind, and you apply the BLS, it will do what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. Do that for a few sets, as long as it's going well, it's enhancing it, um, maybe three or four times, and then move on with the session. But you've had just a brief moment of really installing a powerful new way that their nervous system responded, and that's exactly what you're looking for.
2: And you you can do that even without bilateral. If it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel convenient or it might feel awkward to bring that in, it's okay to just ask them, can we just pause Mm -hmm. in this moment and just notice that let's just sit in this together for a minute Mm -hmm. and feel that what you feel with that experience. And so that's something I think really is brought in like multiple times a session, especially with this population, because you're strategically focusing on the reshaping of that relationship pattern And you are going to be the first, if not only person in their life, they're able to do that within this time frame. Right. Because there's, you're the professional. You're the one that they can trust and you're held to that. So Mm -hmm. really bringing in a focus of that reshaping happening within the session.
1: And I think with that, um, and Jen, I kind of want to tee you up to talk about the attachment because... Mm -hmm you as the therapist in this context are going to be the victim (laughs) of a Mm -hmm. lot of their explosions to this new environment so you know the very nature of you guys meeting is agitating their personality disorganization right if they have a rage pattern it's going to come out it's going to come out and they will you might just never see them again like that Mm -hmm. you know because they're just like that violates the rule in their nervous system that it's not okay to connect. Well, this person's going to connect with me and actually offer healing. Not going to yeah, do that. Mm-hmm. Or it might be massive resistance and anger in the session. So, or all of the yeah, Dissociation. It could be yes. many different things. But just yes. be expecting that and know that that's part of it. But, yes. Jen, I don't know if you want to talk more about the attachment there, but...
2: But I think we could do literally an entire podcast on or tight episode on attachment yes. but Bridger what you said earlier about kind of the the roots of this is trauma and attachment disruptions mm-hmm. in their history mm-hmm. and so of course resourcing I think needs to be a heavy part at the beginning mm-hmm. but when we get ready to start looking in backwards with the client we're going to be wanting to look at what are those attachment patterns sure. right. and how do we begin to repair the storage of those in their their memories of that um, and to look at them through a different lens, but more so how do we help them to experience new healthy attachments now? That can be number one with us. That will be the primary piece that we're seeing that happen. But there's a lot of um, targeting, processing, installing of resources, of ego state work, yeah. a lot of um, approaches to help them experience um, visualizations and interactions with other healthy attachment figures. Yes. So when we talk about, you know, installing a nurturing figure, a protective figure, those are kind of moving in that direction. Um, Doing ego state work where we're bringing back an adult self to comfort that child Mm -hmm. self who was hurt and didn't have a healthy person to attach to. We're developing some healthy attachment experiences that are kind of correcting Um, the way their nervous system was storing that and the activation and bringing a sense of connection and safety. So if you've studied attachment theories and you do attachment work, you're going to really want to pull in those strategies here. If you haven't and you work a lot with borderline personality, I'd highly recommend doing some reading on that um, and even maybe looking at
1: So. Very few therapies have actually been shown to be successful in treating personality Mm -hmm. disorders, which that's why they're kind of the black sheep of of therapies. Schizophrenics also, Um, so it's interesting we're going to talk about them both. But Mm -hmm. um, one that has been um, recently showing very promising results in uh, efficacy uh, studies is uh, specifically attachment. Uh, therapy and specifically the three-pillar model of Dan Brown and David Elliott. I want you guys to just Google that. There's a great book and they actually have a course that you can take that has CEUs associated with it Um, that's uh, I think it's like $400 or something like that. So not too bad but you get a ton of resources and it's online so you have those resources forever. But the book is called Attachment Disturbances in Adults uh, Treatment for Comprehensive Repair. This book is its a serious book. It's gigantic, and it's, it is a textbook, but it has the full history of attachment uh, treatment for uh, all kinds of disorders just in general and borderline personality disorder, getting specific attention there. So I would definitely recommend that resource.
2: Another resource, there's a book called Attached, The New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love. Um, you can find it on Amazon. And it's by Amir Levine. So check that out. I've had um, several, it's a great book. Several clients read it and feel like it's very reader-friendly, mm-hmm. relatable. Um, so that is a, another great resource.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A couple more comments before we move on to the other population. I want to talk about the, a couple of things when you're picking targets and when you're actually in the reprocessing uh, portion of EMDR with people with borderline you want to also pay attention to um, behaviors they observed in their parents um, because often they have stories where these particular ways of, and patterns of responding in relationships... Not only did they have their own experiences that made uh, that seem like the right choice, they also usually have done a lot of observation of a parent with a personality disorder. Yes, where there is one borderline, there is often, often. another yeah. or a narcissistic parent or something like That's that. Right. Um, so just keep a lot of attention on what did they observe behaviorally, whether it had a really obvious impact on them or not, that parental observation and that parental shaping is a huge portion of this.
1: Personality disorders are reactionary. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's just base level. You have to have that right. understanding. Right. Look for the What shapers. were they reacting yeah, to? Who, yes. who shaped them and how. That's yeah. right. That's
2: right. in, in my work, I have learned with this population, it's very rare that you're going to just do target, 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 yes. target. Yeah. It's going to be maybe target and then step back, and it's relational interaction. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, they're reminded, I am, am safe here, here yes. and that was okay. And they're yes. waiting for the fallout of, I That's was right. just very vulnerable. Now you're going to leave me, yeah. or now you're going to hurt me. And so, moving away from it doesn't just have to be every session. We're moving into working on trauma that we might do a little bit of that work and we might pull back for several weeks. Yeah, target
1: focused in that way is actually, you're not getting at the root of the problem. The root Mm -hmm. of the problem is the mechanism by which they understand the target itself. Mm -hmm. So you have to, yeah. It would not
0: be hugely surprising if at some point you actually target their interactions with you. Exactly. Which is, is not something that we do a ton with clients. Um, But just know that with this population, that is actually pretty important and is likely going to happen. The other thing that you definitely want to keep an eye on is the blocking beliefs because you're going to run into a lot of them. You want to be tracking them. You want to plan for them ahead of time. So when they do come up in the midst of processing, you you're ready to respond to that. Yeah.
1: And understand that their nervous system believes they have to have those. Yes. Yes. To stay safe and protect themselves. They have to have them.
0: Yes.
2: So with, the level of detail that we're going into these, what do you guys think about addressing the next part of the question and then releasing another episode almost right after with follow-up questions, like the other questions. Yeah, I think that's good. Yep. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the second part of this question is, I'm also wondering about EMDR schizophrenia. So we're looking at that population. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, their question here is without an extensive trauma history, which I think is an interesting piece. Yes. Um I would say that. Probably falls without the client's awareness of an extensive trauma history, or without the conceptualization. They don't think that there is, or what they're viewing in their history in their life, they don't see as traumatic. Right. Um, and whether hallucinations could be desensitized.
1: Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. And
2: I am going to have to step out at this point. But good luck with that one, guys.
1: <laughs> oh, no sorry. Thanks, Jen. <laughs>
0: That's right. Okay, so I'm finding um,
1: like I want to start again with the conceptualization piece. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I always go. But. I, well,
0: I wanna I wanna start by just talking about the uniquenesses of working with this population and what it what it often feels like yeah. as a therapist. Yeah. Um, so I get pretty. Passionate about talking That's about this population. One way to say it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So maybe before we recorded this episode, they they got to witness just how intense I can feel sometimes about all of this. Um, there might have been a few expletives. Okay. So there, there, <laughs> the the reason. Yeah. No, sorry, guys. Um, the reason why I feel so strongly about this, in part, is because this is actually where I started my therapeutic oh, career. was your team, Yes, I, I did, and, and yeah. oh boy, was it was it a place to learn. Um, so part of, part of what I observed is that in general, the way that therapy tends to be done with schizophrenics is either very, very dismissive of the importance of the expression of their nervous system, meaning coming out in, in delusions and hallucinations and things like that, or on the other end of that, an over-fixation. Yeah, and almost a a neglect of the human underneath the the delusions and hallucinations. Yeah. So
1: you call it voyeuristic. <laughs> I, I did say that. I think it's an excellent way because that's that's so true. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So so what can happen is that you know their their perceptions and their delusions, their hallucinations so are creative. really they're so creative and so fascinating that we can kind of fall down the rabbit hole of trying to understand and listen to all of this and really um do ourselves and them a disservice by almost being distracted uh by by what is presenting. Yeah, yeah, yes. And I mean that is an awful way of saying it, but and people I, do it. People do it and <laughs> therapists do it. And yes. this is why I get a little I know you know, touchy about yeah. it. Um so, all of that to say, if you pick up on a little bit of intensity on my part, that's where that's coming from. Um, and also some guilt on my part of, you know, early in my career, not understanding how to handle this population with the care that they really deserve because they are truly one of the most vulnerable, um, and wounded populations because they, because of the way their nervous system is responding to trauma and to threats in their environment. There's a couple of things that are almost always true. Number one, everything feels like a threat to them. And understanding that they live that way, that they live constantly perceiving everything in their environment as a potential threat or a real threat, um, to me is just a, uh, yeah, creates so much compassion and needs to create a lot of compassion. Um, So I do want to start with... um, the the research that has been done specifically on emdr with this population there's a book that we're going to recommend it's called emdr therapy for schizophrenia and other psychoses it's by paul miller and he does a much better job that we're going to be able to do of really going through how to do this population justice because um i I highly highly recommend that you get specialized treatment if not treatment well, that probably <laughs> that's <happen>. probably <laughs> the whole, yes. that you get specialized training um, sure. before we work with this population however, I'm also acutely aware that some of you are probably serving Already this did. population because you have to because they don't have access to other care because we don't have a lot of specialists um, in this area and so you like I was we're doing the best that Just we can yes um, so we want to speak specifically to that. If you find yourself in that situation, please seek resources, but also, uh, what can we do that is pretty safe. So one of the things that I, and I'm totally skipping over your conceptualization thing because there's so much to say, so feel free to throw it's it funny. in. <laughs> what <it>? skips <laughs> the conceptualization. No, it's no. important. <laughs> um, Okay, fine. Talk about the conceptualization. No, I, I want to write you to go ahead. Okay. Please. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one thing that is uh, particularly helpful to remember is that when they've done research on doing EMDR with this population, EMDR is either incredibly helpful or it is neutral, meaning not much happens. What they did not find was any evidence that it was detrimental. Yes. To me, that's super exciting. Very encouraging. It doesn't mean that we you know, act like a bulldozer and rush into their nervous system and just play around because it's not dangerous. That's not what I'm saying. But with appropriate care and consideration, um, all of the research so far has said that this is either going to help them or it's going to be benign. And at the very worst, we've wasted time, um, which I don't think that is a waste of time because the entire time that you're in that process with a client, you are doing deep attunement work. You're being supportive. You're learning about what's going on for them. So it is, not, um, it is not a waste in that sense. But we may not get the treatment benefit that we expect depending on what's going on in their particular nervous system and how well we're able to ascertain what to actually target. Um, so the other thing is what do we target? Mm-hmm. The, these uh, folks are notorious for not being able to give us an accurate representation of their history.
1: Which is where that question of without a trauma history... right. What I'm do we not do? Not sure how much to right. Yeah, yeah, like,
0: and we don't want to say we don't believe the client, right. But what we can say is that they they do not connect with the stories yeah. of their lived experience the way that we do. They're unaware of what shaped right. their nervous. System. Okay, so now I do want yes. you to talk about conceptualization because this is where it gets really important. How do we conceptualize the case of the the nervous system response moving into delusions and hallucination as the answer? To their experience, yes, there is a genetic component, but all of our research on schizophrenia says that just because you are genetically predisposed does not mean that you are going to move into that. What happens is that there has to be a crisis point in somebody's life, a high stress point, to precipitate precipitate the move into that response pattern.
1: Which that's a great way to start the conceptualization piece mm-hmm. because that tells you that that nervous system had a predisposed, sort of like a back door. Yes. That it could go out if it was triggered or, you know, impacted in a significant way. It's like an way. escape hatch. If exactly it gets bad enough, I can I just this. head out there. Boom. Yep. Eject. Yep. Gone. And that often is what people are so fascinated by of the creativity of their this person's nervous system. That's right. And we know that schizophrenia has been linked with dopamine. Right. That gets really important for affective neuroscience and understanding the presentation of the nervous system because, well, this answer would take a long time. <laughs> <guess> it would. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to sidetrack it because we're not going to go there right now. Right. Affective neuroscience, specifically Akponxep, look it up. Um, dopamine, seeking circuit go <laughs> they are all just hyperlinks i wish we'll, i could we'll hyperlink. talk about we'll talk yes, about this later yes it's a dopamine related disorder which means that it's using and being fed by dopamine to increase the creativity of the response so much was just said and <laughs> i just like you just have to slow down and listen to it and but
0: by creative response in schizophrenia the most salient piece of that is that their brain is overly capable mm-hmm. of creating connection and creating pattern out of seemingly uh, meaningless stimulation
1: yes mm-hmm. yes and i think that an easy example is delusions and hallucinations mm-hmm. perhaps one of the most novel presentations in schizo Uh, organizations, um, the nervous system is so confounded and so um, pressured that it has to create out of nothing Mm -hmm. representations of their fear, their pain, their sadness, their whatever. That is the conceptualization shift that needs to occur if you're going to do this work. These are not just random you know, uh, obtrusive or intrusive thoughts that these people are having. Okay. They come from something.
0: They, their delusion and hallucination is the face yes. that they have put on a faceless fear. That's
1: right. It's representative. It's symbolic. It's, mm-hmm. it's in- encapsulating. Mm-hmm. So in that way, maybe we can start talking about targeting... Right. Delusions and hallucinations. How do we do that? And if we should.
0: Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. Um, so they... I think
1: yes if is where I want to go. But And yes and. Yes, yes. Yes,
0: yes but understand what you're actually doing. Exactly. Yes. Um, Thank you. So so with all EMDR, a target memory is simply the doorway into their neural circuitry. Oh my gosh. I love
1: that sentence. <laughs> Great job. Question. We have fun over here, Oh, guys. so much fun.
0: Oh. Um <laughs> Wow. I know. So, <laughs> so what that means for us as therapists is that when we are doing target selection, we are simply looking for the door in. Yes. And for somebody that is dealing with schizophrenia, or really any presentation of psychosis, their their delusion or the specifics of their hallucination, that is our door into the neural network. Of whatever the the affect the big um, visceral emotional you know survival instinct system that is operating behind the scenes and creating this reaction pattern so I don't have to understand what all of this is no no in fact that is less important what we're trying to do is stimulate the brain around the details of the delusion or the hallucination enough so that we actually get into the neural network that is usually um, being overly activated. So in, in people with schizophrenia, the most likely uh, circuits that are being overly activated in their system would be fear and anxiety and the seeking circuit. So important. So important because the seeking circuit is very, very tied up with dopamine. And so basically their, their system is constantly on the hunt for an explanation for what they're feeling in their body and in their system, which is that intense fear and anxiety is, and sometimes rage. This
1: is what separates just an anxiety disorder right. from schizophrenia. Because That's right. an anxiety disorder is very similar; they have that fear and anxiety in the seeking circuits that are um, that have been overactivated. That's right. But schizophrenics manufacture an answer. Yes. That is the difference. Yes. So it moves. It's it's almost just like an ex, uh, an excitation of and, anxiety. And disorders. this is
0: not this is not done consciously. No. This is a this is a physiological. Because process. of the back door they have. Yes. And the like this is basically um, their nervous system's answer to what is happening in their survival we all have system. Them. Yes. Yeah. Some people move to depression. Some people move to. Uh, nightmares some people move to schizophrenia if they have the genetic backdoor availability for that um, some people move to dissociation we all have yes. our particular predispositions towards an answer and this is theirs um, so understanding that we we can target their delusions and hallucinations but we can understand that what we're actually doing is working with the the damaged affective circuitry
1: and the way that we do that honoring their process wherever they are um, so with that kind of shift in understanding of the conceptualization of schizophrenia and borderline personality disorder, um, therapy is—it's uh, a patient process with these with these populations. Mm-hmm. And to do that uh, alone is not ever a, a good idea. So consultation is always um, kind to of your part. trusted friend yeah. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, always be curious and trusting of their process and your own. Paying attention to how you feel and. Uh, where the treatment is headed, and I think that's... Good enough for now. <laughs> place to end.
0: These questions were wonderful and dense, and we so appreciate you guys taking the time to write in and ask your questions. Um, we're actually going to do another Q and A episode because um, there were just there was so much to talk about. And it took as, so long. I know, as you guys know, we love to talk about this stuff, so we get a little enthusiastic, and it goes for a long time. So, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today, and we'll be back again with another Q and A episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And we'll be back again with another Q&A episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice That at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at NoticeThat, That, see you next time. And so, whatever you do, providing absolute safety, choice, uh, freedom in that situation, because they are very, very, yeah, yeah. deep yeah. connection. Yeah. They're very sensitive to feeling trapped, to feeling overwhelmed, to feeling like people are out to get them. And